Uh, what's already been said, happy uh, Father's Day to all you dads out there. You know, if you're a, if you're a dad that's visiting here with us today, I want to say uh, it's a special honor and privilege to have you here with us today. And uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today because it has everything to do about Father's Day. And we've uh, started a series last week. I, I want to thank Josh Peterson for helping me out. Uh, last week, uh, we uh, Laura had uh, an appendectomy on Friday, emergency surgery, so everything stopped. And uh, Josh took the bat and said, I'll be your designated hitter, and he did an awesome job. I was here to hear it, and I really appreciate you bringing the first, first lesson in our series. And uh, the title of our series is Lost, and uh, we're going to look at the next few weeks, uh, Luke chapter 15, and the whole focus there is God has lost something. And he, uh, he, he looks for it every day. He's in search of what he has lost, and we're going to look into that. But on a, on a personal note, I really want to uh, shout out a thank you to all the families that have ministered to us. You know, I'm a minister, and you don't appreciate what you have in the church until you get ministered to. And I can honestly say that we, Laura and I, have been ministered to this week. And I'm very thankful to all the families that have prayed for us, that have uh, fed us, that have served us in so many ways. Uh, it is such a privilege and a gift to be a part of God's family. And uh, I'm thankful to be a member of this church because uh, we receive so, so much. And uh, if you're visiting here with us, it's one of the, uh, the special privileges of being a part of God's family. And we want to invite you to be a part of it. And you know, uh, starting out today, th this whole series is, is all about recovering the heart of God. Uh, and that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to open our eyes. You know, a lot of people, they, they don't really understand God's heart. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, Father's Day, it, it, it stirs a lot of different feelings for different people. Uh, they, they don't always have a really great feeling about Father's Day. But I just want to share about here in our church how proud I am of the dads that uh, are here among us and how hard they work at learning how to be better dads, how to be more like God. Uh, you know, what dads need in this world is direction. Many times... I, I got a text this morning from a close friend. He says, any man can be a father, but it takes somebody special to be a dad. And that's true. Many of us don't really know because we were raised by somebody who didn't know, who was raised by somebody who didn't know. And, and the truth is, we get the blessing today of listening and learning from somebody who really knows how to be a dad. And so uh, I want to encourage all the dads 
you guys are awesome here in this house because you're a work in progress, you're learning, you're growing, and all you future dads out there uh, want to encourage you, you're going to do just fine. As long as you keep your eyes on God and the way he's going to teach you how to be a better dad, uh, we're going to do just fine. And we're all a work in progress, uh, all of us. We're still learning, and today we're going to learn a lot. But as I said, uh, Jesus came to open our eyes. People did not understand God. They, they read some of the Bible, but they read it the wrong way. They read it as kind of a to-do book. Instead of trying to understand the heart of God. They looked at it as a formula to try to perform and do things so that they could gain God's approval. Instead of understanding, this is about a relationship. God doesn't want us to run around and be performance-oriented people. He wants a relationship. And that relationship will cause change. It will cause a different life. And we could never perform up to the level that a relationship brings about. You know, and I, I got to share this this week. It was really a good thing for me. Uh, Laura, Laura was, you know, pretty much out of commission. And I had to do uh, the cooking. The, not cooking. I got that. That was free. I had to warm it up. I had to warm it up. Okay? I had to warm it up. I did. It does. It takes skill. Not a lot of people can do that. Thank you, John. I had to do laundry. I had to fold laundry. I had to cook and clean and all kinds of stuff, walk the dog and all kinds of everything. And, and Nick helped out a little bit. <laughs> Got to throw some love out there to Nick. But you know what? I really appreciate my wife. Because without her, I'm a wreck. And I can honestly say that, uh, you know, my, my appreciation and my love for her is more than it's ever been, thanks to this situation. But see, God teaches us how to take that when we have difficulties and trials. Get something good out of it. I don't know where you are in your life today, what you're going through, but try to look to God to figure out, what's He trying to teach you? What's He trying to direct you in? And today, it's all about learning uh, about God. And then as we turn up, if you have a Bible, open your Bible to, to Luke chapter 15. We're going to use our Bibles today. Uh, we're going to have some scriptures, scriptures on the screen, but we, we need our Bibles today. And you need your Bible every Sunday. You need your Bible every day. You know, the Bible is in the airwaves. Today in the 21st century, you've got the Bible that is streaming live. Both in audio form, in, 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 in scripted form. There's no reason not to have a Bible close at hand. There's no reason not to understand more about God's Word. So I want to encourage you in that. Everything we're going to be talking about today, the Lighthouse Church of Christ, we're all about learning from God's Word and applying it practically to our lives. And that's what we're going to do today. Luke chapter 15, we begin in verse 1, and the whole chapter is God has lost something. He shares three parables, three stories about people who lost things. And he's paralleling the stories with actually how God feels about something that he's lost. 
And his audience, as it says here in verse 1, the people that were, and and we're going to kind of repeat a little bit of what Josh talked about last week. His audience is tax collectors and sinners who were gathered there with him. And what, what is it that God's lost? He's lost his children. They've strayed away from him. He's lost them. And he is desperately searching to bring them home. To get them back. He's searching high and low. And for us who are members of God's church, it's important for us to want to adapt and have God's heart. Jesus came to close that gap. He came to save what was lost. He says it here in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That was Jesus' primary focus. I want to find the lost people. I want to bring them back. And that's why he had this audience. He had these people. And this parable that we're going to look at today starts in verse 11. And we'll go back to the first two a little bit. But our primary focus in the series is is the parable of the two lost sons. Typically, it's put there on your Bible that the parable of the lost son, or we know it as the parable of the prodigal son, which really isn't the focal point of the parable. Who's the parable really about? Is it about the two sons? Is it about the lost son? Who is the parable about? Who's the primary focus in this parable? Who is Jesus lifting up? Today's Father's Day. Who are we lifting up? Tomorrow's going to be Father's Day. Tuesday's going to be Father's Day. Every day, for us who believe, needs to be Father's Day. It's all about the Father. And see, when you really believe, life comes together for you in that relationship. And the parable describes three movements or three periods in our lives. The first one, Josh did an an exceptional job last week talking about the younger son. He was spoiled. He was self-centered. He was ungrateful, uh, prideful, rebellious. And you got a little picture there in the intro video of what that's like. I'm going to take care of me. I got this. I'm going to do it my way, the way I see fit. And then what happened? I grew up like that. I had that period in my life where I was the younger son. That was my moment. And then I came to my senses. And then there's the third one, which we're going to look at in in, in two weeks. The older son. And he's just as much of a focal point in Jesus' parable as the, the younger one. We like to look at the younger one and we go, oh yeah, yeah, what an awesome... Hey, don't forget, and you won't forget, in two weeks the older son because let me tell you I went from being the younger son to guess what you get in church for a little while and guess who you become and Jesus's audience who was there you got the the younger sons and you got who else the older sons they were the teachers the priests of the Jewish law they were the religious and he had some things to say to them And the truth of the matter is, both sons, although they didn't see themselves as lost, both were clearly lost. 
And you can be sitting in a church, and you can know the word, you can sing the song, you can pray the prayer, but you and God, you're not close. And the reason is because you don't have his heart. And how do you identify if someone is a son of God? And this is the third period, and this is the period or that movement, that moment in life where Jesus, God, wants us to be. He wants us to be right there. Today's U.S. Open Day. Where Jesus wants us to be is 350 yards in the middle of the fairway. With a, with a sand wedge, 100 yards into the green, just spin it back, boom, right there in the cup. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, to be in the middle, to have God's heart. And today we're going to learn about God's heart. Who is he? What's he all about? So I don't know where you are on your journey in life. If you're the younger son, if you're here and you've messed up and you go, man, I, I, I have made a mess and I need to get right. Or maybe you're the older son. And we'll take care of you in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to look at the center. God's awesome heart. And I'm so inspired. It has convicted me. It's helped me. It's ministered to me understanding. The goal of Jesus is the same goal that we have in the series. To be in that middle point. What do, what's our responsibility as a church? Is to restore the heart of God. To be the heart of God. And people say, well, where is God here on earth? Where he wants to be. Where he needs to be. Is in his church. We're his hands, we're his feet, and most of all, we should be his heart. And that way, people can walk around and go, there's God right there in me. Tate, sorry. There's, there's Tate, there's God. God's in him, there's his heart. I can see it. That compassion that he has, that care that he has, I can see it in him. And I want to get close to him. Because Tate reflects him. Be like God. You know, you've heard the word the prodigal son. It's really this parable is about the prodigal God. What does the word prodigal mean? The word prodigal means, it means lavish, extravagant, Overdone, wasteful, reckless, irresponsible. That's what prodigal means. Who's really, who is really the prodigal one? And we're going to look at that this morning. And an interesting thing is, why, why did people like Jesus but not church? You know, they had church back then. They had their synagogue services. Not a lot of people are fired up about going to synagogue. Particularly these kind of riffraff people. Why were they not fired up about going to synagogue? Yet when Jesus came on the, on the scene and started teaching and preaching, what was it about Jesus that drew these people? The worst of the worst. The ugly ones. The, 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 the prostitutes. The betrayers, which were the tax collectors. They were ruthless thieves took advantage of their position. They were very corrupt. They were hated by their society. 
Why is it that these people wanted to be around Jesus? They flocked to Jesus. I ask you today, why, why do you think they wanted to be around Jesus? Go ahead, you can share your answer. What, what was it that drew people like this to Jesus and not to church? Miracles, yeah, maybe. Love. They did not feel judged. You can, you can sum it up in one word, acceptance. Grace. There was hope of grace. Grace abounded on Jesus. Jesus gave them hope. You mean, I can change? You mean me? This kind of riffraff? This kind of person? Do you know what I've done? Yeah, I know what you've done. And God still wants you home. He still wants a relationship with you. This audience was his condemnation. This riffraff that Jesus ate with was his condemnation. You know they called Jesus a lot of things, but the worst thing that they called him was demon-possessed. He does things by the devil's power, by the power of Beelzebub. They called him a son of the devil. You want to know why? They couldn't say it because of the miracles. They couldn't say it because of his word that he preached, because it was the truth, it was the word of God. The only reason why they called Jesus the son of the devil was because he hung around with these kind of people. He ate with them. And for the religious people, they couldn't accept that. They're like, no, if you eat with somebody in Palestine, at that time, if you eat with somebody, you're accepting them. You're accrediting them. And it just, it just dumped on them. There's just no way that Jesus could be from God. What if God came here on earth? Who would he hang with? Who would he reach out to? Who would he be looking for? Who would be his primary focus as a ministry? And this, I pray and hope that we can grab this as a church because as a church, brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do. We need to be like Jesus. And it's not going to make some people happy. Religious people are not going to be happy. Because they're, what do, you, what do you mean you're hanging around with that kind of person? Don't you know what they're going to do to you? Don't, don't, don't you know? Who's going to help them then? And that's why. So let's begin our, our open your Bibles. You've got them open. Let's, let's read here. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. We start out. It says here, Jesus continued, there was a man and two sons. The younger one, that'd be me, youngest of five. That'd be Kevin, Polonigam, youngest of three. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The, the, the audience was hearing this and they said, the father did what? He gave his property? His birthright passed down from his ancestors? He gave it to this spoiled brat kid who wanted him dead? Are you kidding? Oh, this was a shocker. This parable was a shocker when Jesus told it. People did not understand. They're like, what? What are you saying, Jesus? Again, what is the heart of God? Who is the prodigal one here? 
is it really the Son or is it the Father who is wasteful, who is irresponsible with grace, with freedom, with a choice? We read on. In verse 15, verse 14, after he had spent everything in Las Vegas, that's what we're talking about. That's the scene. If you want to know what it is, it's Vegas. It probably took him less than a week to spend it all. Gone. Ever done that? Whole paycheck? I've done it. Paid on Friday. It's not even Saturday yet, and it's gone. The whole thing. Two weeks' worth of work. Gone. He squandered a third of his father's lifelong, his grandfather's, great-great-grandfather's wealth. He squandered it like that. Oh, but the dad must have known if you give a young man this kind of money, you know what he's going to do with it. You know what's going to happen. How could he do this? How would the dad do this? Remember what Jesus is talking about. Who is he talking about? Who is he describing here? He's describing our Father in heaven. God is not interested in micromanaging your life. He doesn't want to control your life. It's a scary thing. He gives you the freedom to choose and you will live with the consequences of your choices. You can't come back to God like we saw in the video and say, Why did you let this happen to me, God? No, He doesn't operate like that. It's your choice. You choose how you're going to live. And He blew it. We read on, so it was all gone. And there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Uh, Josh talked a lot about this last week, but you know these pods. What are pods? Pods were like the rice cakes that we have today. What's a rice cake taste like? Absolutely nothing. That was a pod. It's like styrofoam. What's styrofoam taste like? You ever eaten styrofoam? If you ate a rice cake, that's what it is. Do you know that you could eat a whole box of rice cakes and not be satisfied? You're still hungry. It's a trick. There's a point here. You can feed your life with something styrofoam that never fills you up. That's what he was living They give it to pigs because pigs don't know the difference. They're all about eating. They never stop to think, am I getting filled up? They're just, go. A lot of people live like that. They're just eating styrofoam. They're feeding their soul, they're feeding their life with styrofoam. Never fills them up. They're never satisfied. They're always hungry. They say, I like rice cakes. No, you like rice cakes because you put stuff on it. (laughs) Right? You put peanut butter on it, you put cream cheese on it, you put jelly on it. That's the only reason you like rice cakes. Okay? We continue on. 
Verse 17, when he came to his senses, and this is it, February 15th, 1985, 9 a.m., came to my senses. I woke up. And what went in my mind is, what am I doing? How did I get to this point? I'm in so much pain. I'm feeling so much emptiness. I am lost. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to live. How did I get myself in this situation? Wake up moment. Remember yours? If you've had one. Maybe some of us have had many of them. I had a really big one. That wake up moment. Where you ask the question, how did I get my marriage to this point? How did I get my family to this point? How, what happened here? What have I done? And then he started to think. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. He was dying inside and out. Where are you at today? Are you alive? Do you have a pulse? You may check your pulse, but do you have one here in your soul? Too many of us walk around like zombies. We're not alive. We're on life support. We're not thriving. We're not excited. We don't even know why we're alive. We don't know what, what's going to happen tomorrow. It's just existence. That's not what God has in store for you. And he figured that out. I'm dying. And my father's hired men have what? Now, he comes to his senses and he remembers the hired men. This was the minimum wage guys. These were the daily wage guys. They got paid every day for a day's work. This is the lowest low, bottom, working, the lowest of there is. How did his father take care of the hired men? Took care of them, right? What's that say about the dad? The employees. How did he take care of the employees? The minimum wage guys. How did he, he didn't give them just enough. He gave them more than enough. What's that describe? And Jesus, remember, this is on purpose. This is very descriptive. The son remembered his dad. His dad was compassionate. His dad was generous. His dad was merciful. To even the hired men, he took care of them. And he said, man, if I just, if I would just go back and be among them, and I want to lift up God here. I don't know what you have been raised to think or what the world has told you about God. You need to understand who God really is. That's what Jesus was trying to say. He's a generous God. He's a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. To the lowest of the low, God takes care of them and he gives them enough to spare. He will take care of you. If you let him. And he remembered that. I'm going to go where I know I'm going to be taken care of. And it was a big deal to go back. He was going to maybe have to be face some real humiliation. Some disgrace for what he did. 
and maybe be a public display. Typically in this time, you'd have to sit in the city square and the children would walk by and basically insult you. And you'd have to sit there for days as part of your penitence. And then after that, the dad would publicly whip you. And then after that, you'd have to go to work and earn your way back. And maybe he would, and that's what he's thinking here. This is what's going on in his mind. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father's house to him and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He said, this is all I got. This is my only hope. I can go back to my dad. He'll take care of me. But he was already thinking, I can earn my way. I can earn my forgiveness. Which was typically the way people thought at this time. Then we read on in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, what's this to say about the dad? Typically, if you were the landowner, you lived a little closer in the middle of town. Where was his dad that he could see him from a long way off? He was at the gate. And he was waiting. What was his dad spending his time thinking about? You get a picture that he was sitting at the gate every single day waiting for his son to come home. What does God think about? What's on God's heart? What's he thinking about? Day after day after day, he's thinking about you coming home. When will he come home? When will you come back? Why are you so far? Why are you living the way you're living? Come home. This is what God thinks about. Every day. That's what Jesus is describing. What a father we have. And he was sitting there a long way. He saw his son coming in a long way off. And he was filled with compassion. In other words, he was filled with pain. God saw his son. Jesus saw, or this, this father saw his son. And he was filled with pain in his heart. He saw his insect cheeks he was skinny, he was sick, he was dirty, he was, he, was, he was a mess. And he saw him and he said, oh my son. Before the joy, there was pain. Look at what my son has been doing. Look at how he's been living. See, God is not cold and distant. He feels pain for your life's sake. Do not detach yourself and think that he doesn't, he doesn't feel for you. He doesn't understand. When you're wallowing in your sin and the things that you know are hurting you and hurting the people around you and, and, and hurting God, he doesn't just go, huh, he'll figure it out. He feels pain in his heart. That is our God. That's what Jesus is describing here. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Wait a minute. He was still smelling like the pigs. He was filthy. He was dirty. He was lice infested. It was disgusting. 
see, the Jews had a very strong obsession with cleanliness at this time when Jesus was talking. He didn't do this. Was the dad more focused on the appearance or was he more focused on the soul? We try to fix ourselves up and make ourselves look good. What's God really focusing on? He wants your heart. And he kissed all over his head. He embraced him strong. And then look what the son says. He says in verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him. Didn't even acknowledge what he said. Look what he says in verse 22. But the father said to his servant, Quick! How long does it take God to forgive you? How long does it take? It's in an instant. God doesn't think about it. Well, you just sit there and you think about it. And when you think about it, then I'll think about forgiving you. Is that the way God operates? Jesus is describing our God. Our Father, He's quick. He wants to forgive you today. He wants to keep you right now. But will you let Him? Will you come to your senses? Will you wake up? Will you see His heart for you? His love for you? Will you let Him in? Doesn't stop there. He says, bring the best robe. Bring it. What's the best robe? Best robe is, what's your best suit? Dan, what's your best suit color? Blue, black? Black. Nice, isn't it? When do you use it? Seldom. Special occasion, right? Weddings, the funeral of a close friend, it's special. The robe was probably passed down from the father's father. And it was very ornate. It was very special. He probably would have given it to his older son the day he got married. That's how special it was. He gave it to the dirty, low-down, sinful, irresponsible, selfish son. He's going to give him that robe? Extravagant. Our God. Irresponsible. Our God. With His love and with His grace. He says, bring the robe and put it on Him. Don't just show Him it. Put it on His back. And put a ring on His finger. It was probably the signet ring that you stamped wax, that red wax, you know. It was a family signet ring. means full restoration. Full acceptance. Full family. He didn't start at the bottom and try to work his way back. No, full on. Put the ring, put sandals, meaning he was accepted into the family. Then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of man was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, so they began to celebrate. You going to celebrate this? And it's descriptive in earlier in the chapter in the two other parables, what happens when the, you know, the, the lost, the woman found her coin, when the shepherd found his lost sheep, what do they do? Celebrate. Celebrate. And this is descriptive of our Father. This is descriptive of who He is and 
how he is and his, his heart. And you think about, what's it say about our God? How far is God willing to go for us to be forgiven? This is an incredible humiliation for the dad. This is a display in front of the whole village. They were at the gate. They were right there. He did. He no sooner. This is this is like there was a big commotion. The servants coming. People started seeing it. Everybody saw, and they're like, "What? You're doing what to this kid?" Jesus is saying, "This this is our this is our dad. This is his heart." You think this is extreme? Read this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider himself equal with God, but something to be grasped, but made himself what? Nothing. God made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, it's as if, God, the Father, went and washed the Son's feet, got down on His knee and washed His Son's feet. Remember Jesus washed His disciples' feet? Jesus took the nature of a servant, or God took the nature of a servant. Being in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You think the father was humiliated by allowing his son to come back into the family? Jesus went a hundred times beyond that. You want to know the heart of God? You want to know how irresponsible our Father in heaven is with grace and with mercy? How he lavishes it? How he just pours it out? He wastes it. He just throws it out there. He says, if you need it, I got it. I'm ready to give it. Here, you have some. You have some. Everybody gets some. But wait a minute. Don't you understand? If you throw it around like that, people are going to waste it. They're going to take advantage of it. They're going to abuse it. That's on them. But as for me, this is my heart. I will be extravagant with my grace. I will lay it out there and I will be generous beyond your imagination. You need forgiveness today? You need a new start today? No one, no one will ever and has ever done this for you. No one. And they never will. Except God. We need a visual. Right? I'm, I'm a visual person. Let's see what God went through to humiliate Himself so we could be forgiven.
Páčite. Rosa Pulcherino. Aspicite illum. Regem verbum. Ave, rex verminosus. Ave. Right now we're going to take communion, and I'd like for you to reflect on how extravagant, how lavish, how good, how excessive God's love is for you. Let's pray. God, today uh, we have no words how good you are to us. How excessive you are in your grace. You know we don't deserve it. We are just like that lost son. We've made a mess. And you brought us back in. Right now we want to remember what your son did for us. And thank you for how much he loved us. How much he came to close the gap. God, we want to be close to you. Help us to live the rest of our lives, the rest of this week close in a relationship with you. Forgive us for our sins this week, God. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed you and the way we've distanced ourselves and relied upon ourselves. And I pray for our friends visiting here with us today, God, that they can make a decision to come to their senses and come back home and be your children and walk in your ways. Thank you that we can celebrate this communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
tell me you're not excited about the God that you serve today. Man, if you're not motivated, you need CPR, my friend. But we got some more. We're not done yet. You know what, what the Father says here? He says, this son of mine was lost. He was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and has been found, so they began to celebrate. Right here in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that for as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live in when you followed the ways of the world, and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. We were dead. And if you're outside of Christ, guess what? To God, you're dead. Because he sees it as it is. You're separated from him. You're not living in the way you were created to live. And if you've separated yourself from God, it's time to come back and see things the way they really are. That's why he celebrated verse 4 of the same chapter. says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich, who is abounding, who lavishes it out there, who just is abundant. It's today's Father's Day. Do you celebrate your Father in heaven? Who is abundant? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. Just like the younger son. He couldn't earn it. He put the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, the robe on his back. He didn't earn it. There was no penance. It's free. You can't even think about earning it. Well, you've got to change some more. Really. What creates, when you really understand the grace of God, it changes you. If you're not changing, it's because His grace hasn't reached you yet. You say, man, if we go out there and we throw this grace around, people are going to waste it. They're going to come into church and they're going to get forgiveness and they're going to walk away. I don't know that they ever really understood it well. See, because when the grace of God gets you, you will never walk away. You'll never leave. Because you understand you've got the best there is. You think this younger son ever left after all that? I don't think so. And that's why you have men like, like Paul, P Peter, willing to lay down their lives for their Father in heaven. Let's bring this to an end. What's heaven going to be like? We get it right here. Look. He said, bring the fattened calf. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25 of, of Luke 15, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house, meaning he was still away, but he came near. What did he hear? It says here, he heard music and what? Dancing. Jesus is saying what heaven is going to be like. Are you a good dancer? If you're not, you're not ready for heaven. Okay? So you better get your move on. What kind of music are we going to have? Are we going to have some somber, quiet music? No, it was loud. 
You could hear it outside of the house. It was a celebration. It was loud. Three things in heaven. Food? Oh, yeah. Fattened calf. That was the best food there was. Buffet style. All you can eat. You don't get fat off of it either. You can eat it. And it satisfies. Man, the dessert aisle. Wow. No rice cakes. That's right. Thank you. There will be music. What kind of music? Reggae music? Hip-hop music? What kind of music? All kinds of music. But it will be upbeat, and it will be fun. It will be a blast. It will be a celebration. What are we celebrating in heaven? What was this celebration about? You can think, well, it was a celebration of the sun coming back. But you know what the celebration is really about in heaven? God's grace abounds. Man, His grace is so huge. People just get so excited. They're like, man, you're so good, God. You're so awesome. You're so merciful. Let's have a party. Come on. Let's do it now. You know what church needs to be like? I want to encourage you. We need to work on this, brothers and sisters. Church needs to be a celebration. It needs to be a party. And don't leave it up to the the choir and the band to bring the celebration. You bring the celebration because God's been good to you. And so that when our friends come and visit, they're like, wow. What's gotten into these people? What did they put in those little cups of, uh, of, 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 of... Communion cups. That must be some strong. No. It's what we already got. The grace of God. He's been so good to us. I made a mess. I messed up. But He's been so good to me. And it says it here again. You go back in in chapter 15, verse 7. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over what? One. God celebrates one person. Every individual matters. You matter. You matter. He celebrates the one. Oh, but what about the 10,000? We want to have 10,000 members in the Lighthouse region. Amen. But we celebrate the one. Do you celebrate the one? We'll get to that in a few weeks. Verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just one. Let's get fired up about when people turn their lives over to God. Because now you have a brother, you have a sister. And look at this passage here, Isaiah 62. I'm going to ask Josh to come on up. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. I I was going to put the picture. I didn't have time. Maybe maybe two weeks from now. But I was going to put my wedding picture up on the screen. Without a doubt, that was one of the happiest days of my life. To see my bride. You want to know how God feels about you? That day, that feeling, describes God's 
heart about you. I was so fired up. I couldn't stay in my skin. I mean, tears were coming down when I saw my wife, future wife. The, 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 the excitement, the, man, I, God, what a gift. That's how he feels about you. Today's Father's Day. Guess what? Tomorrow's Father's Day. Every day can be Father's Day. If you will see through the eyes of Jesus, instead of the eyes of the religious world or the eyes of our cynical, numb, distant, hard-hearted world. I invite you today to see God, our Father, through the eyes of Jesus. And I invite you to transition out of the younger son, and in two weeks we'll look at the older son and be right in the middle of the fairway, God's heart, extravagant, focused on what's lost and trying to make a difference in the lives of other people. I got a lot of this from this book. I don't recommend books a lot, but this book brought me to my knees. It brought me to tears. I wept like a child when I read this book. The Prodigal God, it's on the book table. We may run out, but I highly recommend this book. It opened my eyes about my own Christianity. I encourage you to read it. It will change your heart and your perspective. Timothy Keller. Uh, and then, just to close it out, what, what, have the heart of God towards the lost around us. Same way God is waiting, I, I want to encourage you to look for people who need God. Pray and look around. Ask God to put somebody in your life. Make the time to help somebody get 